Good morning, church family. Man, it is good to go to the Lord together this morning. Um, Amy and I picked up a, a funny little game that started with her parents, and it goes something like this. With all of our kids in the room, uh, one of us will, in the middle of a conversation with one of our kids, will whisper loud enough for the other kids to hear, uh, hey, hey, Annie, uh, you know what? You're my favorite kid. Don't tell the others. And of course, this will elicit a grin or a funny look from the other kids. And then to, to finish it off, we'll look to one of the other kids and say, hey, hey, Judah. Hey, you're, you're my second favorite kid. Don't tell the others. Uh, and of course, our kids have become wise to this. And uh, one of them will say back, hey, dad, don't tell mom, but you're our second favorite parent. <laughs> um, and and I, I think if you... If you uh, if you track the content of most typical Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons, you might come to the conclusion that secretly pastors are saying, hey moms, don't tell dads, but you're our favorite parent. And that's, that's not what we want. Our culture is saying all sorts of stuff about this too, isn't it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked in Luke chapter eight and, and we just touched on it briefly that at the beginning of that chapter, we see Luke highlights some women that are following Jesus. Uh, and they have, he has healed them. And, and he's, he's invited him into his traveling party of disciples uh, that are uh, following him. He, he, he cherished them. He, he gave them a place of honor and they supported his ministry. We didn't spend a whole sermon on it, uh, but we, we highlighted a lie that I think sometimes wrongfully seeps into the church. Uh, and, and can sometimes wrongfully be even encouraged or taught by pastors. And the lie is this, that, that theology... The deep study of God's word or, or, or serious following of Jesus, this is really only a sphere for men. The women and their gifts aren't as useful in the church. And of course, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's not the testimony of scripture at all. And I hope it sounds ridiculous here, uh, but, but that sort of thinking is out there and, and it's an error that we have to be diligent to avoid. But if that sort of error can, and that sort of lie can emerge from within the church, a different lie is currently circulating outside the church. A lie that our culture is telling us about men. That when it comes to men and fathers, our world has determined a couple of things. Number one, whatever the problem is, it's men. And number two, men are at the very least overrated. Maybe even unnecessary. Church, we need a God-sized vision of the beauty of men and women, of mothers and fathers. Neither are unimportant, neither are problematic or interchangeable, any more than my left hand is interchangeable or problematic to my right hand. But when we entertain this sort of thinking about men or women, uh, we begin to ingest kind of just trace amounts of poison. And I, and I think it begins to do damage uh, to our families. I believe it's eating away at our culture. It will eat away in the church. And if we're not careful, it will slowly eat away and rob future generations. So today's not gonna be a full-blown treatment of manhood and womanhood, but, but I wanna take a minute to just encourage our men today to honor the fathers in our midst. 
Dads, we need you. You are important. And as a side note, the points will kind of be directed toward them. It is Father's Day. But if, it's, if that's not you, if you're not a father, don't check out. God is gonna speak to us through our word because guess what? What fathers need is what we all need. So today, uh, we're gonna look at a couple of different texts, particularly Psalm 127 that we just read and, and Romans 8. And I believe that God will have us, uh, I pray, see three things uh, that every father needs. Number one, fathers need a break. There you go. We can just stop there. <clears throat> Number two, fathers need a mission. Number three, fathers need a father. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, you are good to us. You're good to your children. And there's nothing more, nothing extra that we need today but you. And so would you lead us back to you? Would you give us ears that would hear the truth of your word and anything that I would say that is not in line with it, God, would you just take that away and would you help us to hear from you, from your word, from your spirit? Would you speak to us? We need your help. We have nothing, no hope apart from you. We pray all this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Well, number one, fathers need a break. Let's, let's start by looking together at Psalm 127. So the top of the, the psalm, starting in verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I, I'm reading from the ESV in this particular text this morning. So if you're trying to follow along in your CSB, that's, you, may, you may see a couple different words here or there. Um, now, we, we read at the top of the psalm. If you see it in your, in your Bible, you'll see that it's a psalm of Solomon. And so the context that many, many of the commentators would say, the context of this psalm is Solomon writing uh, or reflecting on the building of the temple. That, that Solomon's acknowledging, unless the Lord builds it, unless he builds the nation of Israel, that, that they have no hope. And sure, this, this is true, absolutely. And, it's, and it goes down from there to us. Like if, if, unless the Lord builds our cities, we can labor all we want. Unless he builds his church, uh, all of our efforts to build, uh, they will fail. Apart from his sovereign care, we might as well be building an ice castle outside in June in Texas. It's not gonna work. Apart from him, it's not gonna happen on our effort alone. But clearly this psalm is about more than buildings, right? It goes down to the individual level of your life, your family. In Jewish practice, they would read Psalm 127 after the birth of a new child. Unless the Lord builds my house, my life, my family, then, then it's all in vain. My work is utterly dependent upon him. So think, think more broadly about your life. Unless he builds your life, your family, your children, students, unless he builds your future, your academic pursuits, your future family, young professionals, unless he builds your career, your dating life, <clears throat> moms, dads, unless he builds your marriage, your financial stability, the heart of your kids. We can labor and strive. Yes, we must. 
But it is only with his strength working powerfully within us, Paul says in Colossians 1. Unless the Lord builds it, it won't happen. In fact, he goes further. He's saying apart from him, effort is, is like vapor. It's gonna disappear. It's going away. Here, look at verse two. It is in vain, it's fleeting, that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I, I, I don't know about you, but I think we have an anxiety problem. And why wouldn't we? When, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he tell them? He said, be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. Bring it under your control. And he told Adam to work and to tend the garden. So like Adam, what, what has God given you to tend? What garden? What, what, what has he placed you as the foreman to build? Is it a job, a family, a ministry? But when Adam tended the garden, it was, it was happy work. It was beautiful. But after the fall, as sin came into the world, the earth began to fight back. This was the curse, wasn't it? Once sin entered, work became stressful, hard. Building a life, raising children, planning for the future, all with wars and unbridled sinfulness around us, not to mention the sin within us. A thousand pitfalls for our kids. We gotta keep them from falling in. Our many responsible, responsibilities, they, they consume us, don't they? We work long days. Many families, two income, everybody going strong all the time. And then even when we are all at home, there are a hundred other obligations and responsibilities. Relational strain is difficult. Tending to our children or our spouse this requires effort. Not to mention gas and grocery prices are going nuts. What is happening? And look at my grass. Like when was the last time it rained? What is, how do I make this stay green? And when we finally sit down to, to rest, when we finally lay down at night, what do we turn to? We pick up our smartphone. We turn on the TV. And what do we see? Wars political fury, the wordle word was really hard. <laughs> Christians sinning against each other, outrage, depravity everywhere. And if that doesn't get us, as we hold our phones, it begins to ding with emails. Tomorrow's anxieties flooding into our inbox already. That project, oh, I've got to do that. That thing that's coming. Look at the psalm. It's in vain that you rise up early. Is that you? Do you wake up early, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and your mind is already going? Worried about your kids, worried about your future, already worried about the day. Or maybe you can't turn it off. Maybe you, maybe you burn the midnight oil. And this one, this is totally where I fall. Everyone's in bed, so I'll just work a little. Midnight, 1 a.m. I'm, I'm gonna catch up on the things that, that were bothering me or worrying me through the day. And now maybe if I can just do this, I won't be behind when I start tomorrow. Fathers need a break. Our hearts are eating the bread of anxious toil. And it's not just dads, is it? 
Read it again. Verse two, it is, it is vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. But here, here is why our anxiousness is so unnecessary, he says. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Sleep, that sounds pretty great. He could, he could have given us anything, right? He doesn't give to his beloved extra hours in the day. He doesn't give to his beloved three hands. That would be really useful. We could get more done. Now he gives us rest. This is the rhythm God embedded into his creation, isn't it? The sun goes down each day and we sleep. It's the rhythm of the week. Six days of work and then Sabbath rest. But sleep is more than rest from something. It's rest in something. It's not just closing our eyes and forgetting the work. It's closing our eyes because the eyes of the Lord never close. His strong arms never rest. Oh, how we need rest in him. We need to abide in him in the morning. We need to to sit with him at night, to enjoy him, to read his words. We think what we need is more time. And what God is saying is what you need is more of me. You need sleep. And not just sleep, but you need to sleep knowing that I'm building. I'm the one who builds while you sleep. It's his work, isn't it? It's his work anyway. He, he's the one at work. You're, you are not what you can produce. I'll just say that again for those in the back. You are not what you can produce. That is not what defines you. No, what defines you is that you belong to Jesus. It is all from him, it is all through him, and it is all to him. The acceptance that we receive at the cross of Christ, it's the same acceptance that lets us sleep well, knowing that we don't have to earn stuff from God. So so fathers, people of God, work hard, yes, but not anxiously, and then take a break. Learn to stop working. Put, put away your phone. That's like a whole other message. But, but put, put it away and rest. Rest with your family. Abide with Jesus. You won't regret that. Number two, fathers need a mission. Look at verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So sons and daughters are heritage, a reward. So what does that mean? What does it mean that children are a heritage? This is not simply that children are a blessing. This isn't simply that they are a gift. They are those things. Children are a blessing. They are a gift. But it's definitely not less than that. Uh, but, but I do think it's more. This word heritage, it, it is something that is received. It's a received inheritance. That's what the original audience would have understood. This is something that comes to them. Your, fer- your heritage is what your family has. It's what passes from the father down to the children. When we think about an inheritance, we, we do think about those things. We think about money. We think about a house or property. But Hebrew, a Hebrew inheritance was, was so crucial 
because there was no other way to live and operate in the nation without property. And property was often not sold or not to be sold. And even if it was, it was given back to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. An inheritance then therefore was everything. The only way to receive anything of value was to receive it from your family. And then your goal was was to tend it, to keep it, to maintain it, and then to pass it along, make it better for your children. And this is how it is with the father, isn't it? Everything that we have, we received. Your career given to you by God. My house received from God. My kids, an inheritance received from the father. Fathers, your sons are not your sons. Your daughters are not your daughters. They are an inheritance. You receive them. You are a surrogate on this earth, a foster dad on the earth. They have been shared with you, passed down to you, but by who? By their real father, their true father. But children are also not simply a possession, a piece of property to be used. No, we read blessed. This is really the word just happy. Happy is the man whose quiver is full. So look at your kids and be happy. Let your kids delight you, even when they're knuckleheads. (laughs) Hug them regularly. Embarrass them by telling them how much you love them. In, in awkward moments, tell them you love them in front of people. It's great. Guess what? Your father sings over you. He delights in you. And you are a knucklehead. I am a knucklehead, but he loves us. But not only are your children a delight, fatherhood is a mission. Verse four, they're like arrows in our hands, we read. As we invest the treasures of the gospel into our children, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And our children are both the arrows and they're the future arrow shooters, archers. That's the word I was going for. They're the future warriors. How about that? They are the arrows and the future warrior. God has invited us in and our mission with our kids It is to push back the darkness in them by bringing in the light of the gospel. But then we get to send them out by his grace, hopefully knowing and loving Jesus more than even we did so that what? So that they can go push back the darkness in the world. We arm them with our love. We clothe them with the acceptance that only comes through the gospel. We outfit them securely with the love of Jesus and for his word. Man, that's a mission. That's something worth participating in. What a happy task that you get to raise your children in the discipline and encouragement of the Lord. That's what Paul calls it. That's the grace and the truth of God. But this can also be painful, right? This is the earth fighting back. Some of you have relationships with your, your teenagers or your adult children that you would not describe as a delight. Or going further back, 
Some of you in this room grew up with fathers who failed profoundly at this. You weren't the recipient of their delight. You weren't the focus of their life and their mission. No, you were the object of their anger, the object of their disappointment, or, or maybe just not, not acknowledged or looked at at all, abandoned. And wounds like this are, are, are real. They're painful. They go deeply, and, and I'm, I'm really sorry if that's you. It is, it is deep. Family is to be a delight. But it can also be a source of deep pain. So, so I don't say all this this morning to be trite. But I pray that, that this is true. I pray that you have come to know God as a father. Because he is a father to the fatherless. He is better than any earthly father you could know. And he has welcomed you into your family. He's welcomed you into his family. But, but beyond just that, look around the room today. Any, any Sunday we gather, when we gather, <clears throat> you should look around and see, you, you may not think of it this way, but there are flawed men and women sitting around this room. And you know what they'll do? They will imperfectly share the love of Jesus with you. They will be spiritual fathers and mothers to you. Brothers and sisters, that's the church. We are the family of God. And that doesn't erase the wounds of our family of origin, but the family of God welcomes you in. And by God's grace, the lives of the Christians that God has brought you around, they will point you to the best father, the father that binds up wounds, who never abandons us, never lets us go. Maybe your pain today is that you long for children. Maybe you've prayed for children. You've been unable. I pray that a day like today is not a bitter day, but, but that the Lord brings comfort. I know it's hard not to lose heart, not to despair. Single friends, maybe you're longing for marriage. God loves you. He's with you. He's not left you alone. But for any of us, whether, whether you're young or old, single or married, a parent or not, I, I just wanna give us, I think, what a, a quick vision is from God's word. And I, I, don't want, I don't want you to hear this as glossing over your, your wounds and your pain, but, but I think God gives us a vision for, from his word uh, from 1 Corinthians 4. This is written by our brother, the apostle Paul. Paul is our unmarried, childless brother. And listen to how he talked about his mission. 1 Corinthians 4, starting in chapter, or in verse 10. He said, we're fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. This actually sounds a little bit like parent, parenting, doesn't it? Uh, this is, uh, he's not writing as a parent uh, and, and speaking about that, but he is kind of. Look at verse 11, 13, he keeps going on. When we are in slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Wow, Paul. But verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ. 
but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Some of us have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of friends, a lot of teachers, but not many fathers. Fathers and mothers get into the fray of your life. They'll even take it on the chin on your behalf. They give knowing they probably won't hear thanks or be repaid. Isn't this how Jesus served you? And now he invites us all into the mission. And it's this sort of, <clears throat> this sort of spiritual parenting that's, that's not an opportunity reserved only for the married, only for those with biological children. It's the ministry of the church of Jesus. Because God is our father, we get the gift of his family, the church. That means we get a lot of fathers and mothers. Empty nesters, you, you thought, you just thought you were done. You thought parenting was over for you, but you're not. It's not over. Who are the younger parents, the single adults, the, the teenagers that God is calling you to welcome into your life? Young moms and dads, you thought you just had your own kids and sometimes that's enough. But it's not just them. The mission of fatherhood and motherhood is as big as the family of God, whether to our biological or adoptive children or whether to our spiritual ones. Jesus has allowed all of us the gift of playing in the game. You can be in the game no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life. You can join on the mission. And then number three, fathers need a father. So maybe, maybe at this point you're going, hey, Kevin, you started by saying that we needed a break. So like, I want to get back to the break. That's, this, this mission stuff sounds hard. Um, and and I, I, I liked the rest part, the sleep part. And maybe, maybe that's how you feel when you think of the task of parenting. Maybe it seems overwhelming, anxiety-inducing. Maybe you would say, you know what? I don't even know how. I don't know how to be that kind of father. Uh, or maybe you would say, I'm, I'm currently failing at being that kind of father, that kind of mother. Or maybe you would even say, I, I've already failed. I've already failed. Maybe, maybe it's too late. I, I want us to look together at Romans chapter 8. And here we see two amazing pictures of God. And I think this is what we all need. Because if you think you're incapable, if you think you've failed, if you think that you're not enough, you're right. That's, that's where you gotta start. That's the right place to be. Look at Romans 8, starting in verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Maybe, maybe we should just stop there. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I want you to imagine for, for just a minute, I want you to imagine this picture. I heard an, <clears throat> I heard an older pastor share this image a few years ago. But I want you to imagine a courtroom scene. Attorneys at their respective tables, onlookers watching in the gallery. And this isn't the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. It's, it's way not that. 
Uh, and in walks the defendant. And it's you. You walk in slowly, your hands in cuffs, led by an officer, and you take your seat. You're being tried for a series of crimes and it was really just the only way you knew. It's how you knew to live. You were raised in it. Taught from a young age that you had to take care of yourself. You had to solve problems through violence, through vengeance. Those who said they loved you, they harmed you. So you just harmed in return. No one believed in you. In fact, there's no family members even sitting in the courtroom behind you. You're angry afraid and alone. And as the case was presented, there was little doubt. The defense's case uh, was weak. The verdict, the coming verdict was obvious. So as the judge asked you to stand, you braced for the inevitable. Your heart began to sink as the judge <clears throat> made his pronouncement. I find the defendant not guilty you looked up. How? Not guilty. I, I did these things. How could there be such mercy? How could I receive pardon? And church, this is the scandal of the gospel. That God, the righteous judge, the lawman, that we've transgressed his law in every way. And still, what does he give to us? Pardon, forgiveness, freedom. Now in any, any earthly courtroom, this would be unjust. But God is both just and the justifier. How? Let's, let's keep going. Look at verse three. How is this possible? For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh. He dealt with sin. This is what he did. He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You've been set free. He destroyed sin for you, sin in the flesh. But the condemnation for that sin didn't fall on you. Because Jesus was condemned. The condemnation for sin fell on him. In the courtroom of God's justice, the perfect son of God, the son of the judge, took the penalty for your lawbreaking and he took it on himself. And so now you're, you're not just not guilty, you're innocent, righteous. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, he gives you his righteousness, his perfection. But you would have never gotten there. You would have never made it by law keeping. But now you've been liberated, made new. The law could have never done that. Hallelujah. And I think for a lot of us in our, our gospel-centered cross-focused circles. It's so good, right? I think for a lot of us, this is it. This is the end. And this is a great place to end. The beauty of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we, we might become the righteousness of God. That's good news. That is the gospel. How beautiful the risen Jesus, the empty tomb of the Lord. Jesus made you alive when you were dead. He set you free when you were enslaved to sin and the flesh. He made you righteous when you were stained with sin. That's the gospel. But can I tell you something more? But wait, there's more, right? Let's go back to our courtroom scene. Imagine in that moment, every jaw on the floor, everyone blown away, probably some outraged, by the mercy from a judge. But as everyone begins to gather their things and prepare to leave, they're thinking court is adjourned. The judge's gavel hits the desk one more time. And the courtroom listens as the judge says, I have one more decree to make. Not only is the defendant not guilty, I hereby pronounce him as my son. I receive him as my son. I will take him into my home. He will be part of my family. He will sit at our dinner table, at his seat at our table. He will be a co-heir with my son. The love for my only son, I will now pour out on him. Everything I have will be his. He has no real father but today I'll become his father. That's what happened. That's what happened for you. Look in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. <laughs> that God would send his only son to suffer and die is amazing. He made you new. This is a miracle of his grace. But it didn't stop there. That you would be called a son, that you would be called a daughter, that you would be adopted into the family of God, this is a miracle of his love. What you deserved, what I deserved, were the gallows. But what he gave us was a seat, a seat at the family table. First John chapter three, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. What amazing love. The Lord didn't just set you onto a, a right path, wipe the slate clean and send you on your way. No, he adopted you. He, he made you clean. Yes, he made you alive. And then he invited you into the family. I want us just to think about that for a minute. Think about what it means to be a child of the father. Mary Cassian said it this way. She said, having God as our father means that he is a living, personal being and not an impersonal force. It means we can get to know him. It means we can talk to him and interact with him. It means we can relate to him on a personal and even intimate basis. I might not know how to relate to an almighty one, a most high or the great I am because I have not met anybody like that. 
I have no earthly frame of reference to do so. But relating to a father, that's different. Fellow fathers, men, young and old, this is what enables us to pursue our mission as fathers. We get to love sons and daughters, love our wives, love our families. We can pull in others who, who need fathers around them. This is why can, we can be men of both strength and gentleness. Why we can be those of confession and forgiveness. It's not because we're, we're men, because we're strong, because we're men. No, it's because we have a father. We have a father who loves us, which means this, we're children. That's why we can walk boldly. We're children loved by the father. And that goes for everyone in the room. If you have come to the father, if you've come through the son, that means whether you're single, married, woman, man, teenager, child, this is not make-believe stuff. It's true. It's, it's real. God will be your father. Jesus, your savior and your older brother. The Lord redeemed you. The righteous judge, he forgave you and then he has brought you into his family. He seats you at his table. And right now, as his child, he gives all of his love to you. And that means then you can love. You can serve. And just as he invited you to his table, that means you can love and invite people to yours. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need to believe this. It is still astounding to me, Lord, that you would, of all of the things that you could have done for us, we certainly did not deserve to be called your children. Grace alone, forgiveness alone, your kindness alone, we, we didn't deserve them, but that you would call us beloved, that you would call us son and daughter is, is amazing. And Father, I... I I want us, I pray that you would help us to walk in that reality, to walk as your children, to walk as those who depend upon our Father, who go to our Father, who, who don't carry our burdens alone and wrestle and toil anxiously alone, but we come to the Father and we lay at your feet and we enjoy you, we rest in you. Would you make us a restful people because we trust the strong hand of our Father? So lead us now, Lord. Help us, give us a break today in you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.